what did we miss with our very special hosts, Matt and Tony? Yay! Yeah, and we and we talk about our pop culture blind spots as well. Yeah. Hi, Tony. <laughs> Hi, Matt. <laughs> I can't contain my excitement. I know you can't, yeah. and I, I apologize. Um, I'm. Uh, I was hoping to match your energy today, but the the guys had a had a kind of a bumpy night, so I'm a little tired. <laughs> oh man, those those fucking kids. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, was it? Were they? Were they arguing over who the best Ninja Turtle is? Uh, no, they were just heckling me and their mother from the other room. So like. They're so like they're, the Statler yeah. and Waldorf of your home now. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. Totally. That's fair. With uh, you know, more uh, more shit in their pants. Well, I mean, Statler and Waldorf were pretty old. I'm sure they've <laughs> pooped themselves at a, a few Muppet shows. I wouldn't be surprised if they're sitting up there with shit in their pants as they watch mm-hmm. the whole time because they're just they're just cranky. They're cranky motherfuckers. That's why they're so cranky. Yeah. Yeah. It's because of the shit in the pants. I feel like this is going to suggest to our listeners that things might be going one way this episode. But Matt, are, I'm curious if there is uh, any fandom or sort of like pop culture touchstone that maybe you feel like you should really enjoy, uh, but like maybe at best you just think it's fine, maybe doesn't click with you, just can't really understand maybe why other people adore it or or what's keeping you from getting there yourself. Do you have anything like that? Um I'm you know I'm I'm sure there is. It's kind of hard to think of it. Um but you know recently I know like one of the most popular musicians on the planet is Taylor Swift and I just cannot connect whatsoever. And even her, her she released two albums uh in 2020 um you know, she's super prolific during the pandemic, and she recorded them with uh, one of the guys from The National, a band that I like quite a bit. Uh, and I listen to those albums, and for me, they're a bit too samey. Uh, she doesn't really vary it up as much as I think she should, and it just kind of feels like it's in a wheelhouse I like, yet when I hear it, I'm just like, I think I'll just go listen to The National. Uh, and I don't think she's a bad singer-songwriter, uh, but I just can't connect to it. Uh but I know a lot of people who have, especially like as she's progressed and now she's dipping her toes into like the indie music waters. And I know I have quite a few friends that are like, yeah, this is really good. I really dig this. And I still just can't connect to it whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, that's a good one. I mean, that's, um, you know, I, I think she is an omnipresent force in in contemporary pop culture. So, yeah, I, I think that that checks the box to the prompt that I gave you. I mean, the reason I'm asking is because we are talking about the Muppet show this week, which uh, I don't know if you suggested it or if, or if I did, I know it's come up before that I never really watched it. I, I sort of, I was a little too late to catch it in its original run or reruns or however they did it. Um, you know, I kind of grew up with the Muppet babies um, the Muppet Family Christmas, which we've talked about a number of times, uh, but the Muppet Show wasn't readily available, and I know that this is sort of like a a Mount Rushmore type 
piece of pop culture for a lot of people, yourself included, and uh, several friends of mine. And over the years, I've I, I've made efforts, um, you know, dabbled with the various movies. Um, I think because of the music rights, primarily the the show itself has been kind of elusive. I know there are some DVDs released maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, mm-hmm. but I didn't seek them out. And yeah, I, I, I kind of find myself in any of these times where I, I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I need to give them up. It's a try partly because I don't, you know, I never had really the opportunity to absorb it when I was younger. Um, but I think the, the reverence it was with which it was spoken, like always kind of surprised me. Like I never questioned that it was good, but I think I think the 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 importance of it to a lot of people um in and around my age group was kind of surprising. And I've I've found it very I've found that thing that they see in it to be elusive. So <laughs> yeah, I was kind of nervous about this because I, I don't it, it felt it felt dumb. I was intimidated by the Muppets, and I don't think that's a sentence anyone has ever said out loud. <laughs> I believe what happened was Disney announced that they were putting the show in its entirety up on Disney Plus, which the internet seemed pretty excited about. And I believe the day of its announcement, you texted me something along the lines of, oh, shit, we got to do the Muppet show. And in addition to that, I think you also said, I don't like the Muppet show. (laughs) Something along those lines. And uh, I, in that moment, it was kind of like, oh, oh, this is this is going to be big. Like, okay, we, we really got to get into this because as you stated, the Muppet show is, is very, um, and the Muppets in general are important to me. They're the backbone of a lot of my upbringing, uh, in my youth. My parents' first dance was the rainbow connection. I have like Muppet paraphernalia in my home. My first tie had Mupp- had animal playing the drums on it. Um, I had Muppet action figures when I was younger. I own those DVDs that you mentioned. Uh, Meg and I, after we got married and walked down the aisle, we walked down to the Muppets theme song. And it's always just been something that's comforting to me. And I think it's partly because uh, Jim Henson in general, there's something about him that was always about being creative and accepting and inviting to everybody and there's something about the show for me that was always about acceptance of the weirdos, especially at such a young age. I loved Gonzo so much and <laughs> and oddly related to Gonzo because he was always just trying to do the strangest things. And I just found him fascinating. Uh, and, and, and part of what Henson did was did a lot of weird shit, but made it accessible for everybody. Um, with the Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and even some of his early short films predating the Muppets are sort of experimental. Uh, and there's always this sense of experimentation and excitement and, and imagination and everything he does. But at the same time, it, it's for everyone. And I don't know, it, it's just always kind of inspired me. And, and he's always been a figure that I've always looked up to. Yeah. I mean, I think my first memory of Jim Henson as a a creative force was when he died. You know, that was sort of uh that probably happened at a point 
where I was just old enough to, you know, recognize, oh, like this, you know, this, this important cultural figure has passed. Um, and, you know, it was very, his passing was not overlooked, you know, it was, it was big news. Um, he was an important figure in our, um, you know, in our collective, uh, consciousness and stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and that was, maybe that was another part of it too, is like, you know, my introduction to him was through his death and I was like, oh, this is behind us now. Like this, like whatever it is, <laughs> I was probably like four or five when he died. So I just locked it into my mind that like, oh, this thing is over now. And, you know, I know that, um, his son and Disney sort of to various successes and starts and fits tried to continue the, 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 with the characters from then on. And it, it didn't seem to always click. I think there was some debate that, uh, you know, that Disney didn't quite know what to do with it, that without him to sort of shepherd it along, nobody really quite knew what to do with them. Kind of like, not unlike the Looney Tunes characters who have just sort of been like in this weird, you know, the wasteland of being some of the most recognized characters ever put on film, but then the people who, own them don't really know how to make them work anymore so i kind of i kind of like i kind of felt like the the deck was stacked against me to sort of to go back to get into something that i knew like its moment has seen seems to have passed i can also imagine it's similar in the sense to introducing a loved one to star wars at this point in time like there's so much lore and history behind it it's so popular and and so much baggage um, that I think it, and that could be intimidating. And if you've ever, I'm sure you've met people that have just like, yeah, I've never, never gotten into Star Wars. And it's just, it feels like, oh, wow, that's strange because obviously it, it, seem, it seems like everyone I know likes, is aware of Star Wars, but you run into that every once in a while. And I can imagine that's like why start now i think that's what ends up happening oftentimes yeah and what it's really off-putting and i don't i really don't intend to come off this way and i and i i hope i don't but like when i meet those people they're like like yeah like they take pride in not caring about the thing like i'm not i'm not you know waving this anti-muppet flag (laughs) i don't um i i'm genuinely you know i went into this genuinely curious and you know i think um you know, here's a counterexample. When the first new Muppet movie came out with Jason Segel, Sandra and I went to see it, and I was like, "There's a whole lot more of that guy than I wanted. Probably could use more Muppets." <laughs> so, like, <laughs> even in that sense, I like I I couldn't quite find what I was looking for. So I don't know. I had the same reaction to that, being a big Muppet fan. Like, oh, this is good in the margins, and it seems like this. He understands certain aspects of the Muppets, but maybe it's a little too reliant on nostalgia because it, it literally recreates the opening to the Muppet show in the movie. I think Muppets Most Wanted, surprisingly, got at what the Muppets did best, better than that first Muppet movie. I think it's called The Muppets. And nobody kind of, yeah, Muppets and, Most Wanted kind of came and went. Yeah, that one kind of came and went. And surprisingly, it's, it's, it's really funny. It's weird. Uh, it's got that, off-kilter Muppet humor, uh, makes great use of, of the puppets in, in, in strange ways, which is always something I love to see. To, to sidestep for just a second, as you know, I've been uh, a bit obsessed with uh, Godzilla and all things Godzilla recently. And I read um, 
I've been reading this book, which is um, called The Critical History and Filmography of Toho's Godzilla series. And I, I found this passage in it that I thought was was wonderful in regard to Godzilla, but it mentions the Muppets, and it also kind of maybe points to one thing that I do love about the Muppets. And this book is uh, written by David uh, Kalat. Uh, but anyway, uh, the quote is, realism is a style of fiction. Americans are accustomed to seeing realism and assume that as one of the fundamental aims of art and storytelling. Certainly not all Western art aims to be realistic. Audiences that fail to enjoy the Muppet movie because Kermit is not a realistic frog cheat themselves. Japanese monster movies share some of the appeal of the Muppets, and Godzilla should not be taken as a true representation of a dinosaur any more than Fozzie represents a true bear. And I think what that gets into is the magic of these characters, and there's something about, especially with the Muppet show, where you see a guest looking into the eyes of this felt puppet and really connecting and there's something to me that's very magical about that that goes beyond any kind of fancy special effects that's off the table i mean that's not you know i'm not watching this and like the frog looks fake (laughs) (laughs) no but i'm what i'm really just trying to say is is just that i think that part of it really really appeals to me it speaks to me so and i know that that you're not looking at kermit and be like this is this looks dumb but that's the one thing, that's one of the main ingredients for me is that aspect of it, is the magic of it. And for me, I really thought that was going to be the way in because I, you know, I have the uh, a couple of those big hardbound making of books for Star Wars and especially when you get to The Empire Strikes Back and the section where they're talking about Dagobah and Mark Hamill is the only human, the the action side of the camera. Other than that, it's just a bunch of like, some snakes and then Frank Oz is under the floor and like seeing how that was constructed or, you know, seeing illustrations of how, you know, I think that song that that Kermit does at the beginning of the Muppet movie, is that rainbow connection? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or he's, he's playing banjo and he's, but he's in the middle of a pond. So like they have like the setup so that the puppeteer is like in the pool, you know, but not underwater. And like that stuff is fascinating. And, um, and I always, I will always have a, a a soft spot and some nostalgia blinders on for that kind of practical special effect or puppeteering. I was really excited about the Dark Crystal TV show, and then I, I watched the first one, and I'm like, I really don't care about this, but I just watched an hour of cool puppets, and like that kind of like got my fix. That that's the problem with I think that show in a nutshell, and I think. That's probably why people don't connect with the Dark Crystal movie in general. Um, I think the movie works. It's it's clunky in its storytelling, but I just think it's so, just so awe inspiring in its its visuals that um, that it works for me. I think the show goes too far into the technical wizardry, and um, and, and there's too much lore and 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 backstory and history there to make it exciting. But the the Muppet Show is very pure because it's you know it's a behind the scenes show it's a show within a show they're putting on a a performance in front of an audience audience in quotes because they're usually more muppets uh and it's a behind the scenes look at that we get to see them you know working backstage and those are two things that i love obviously it has elements of vaudeville uh there's lots of different musical styles that are going on 
um, lots of little skits. Sometimes things are a little connected. Sometimes they're not connected at all. The best part to me is that it's always on the verge of falling apart. <laughs> it's always on the verge of not working whatsoever. Kermit is always out of his mind because he's he's worried that the guest is, is going to be angry or, you know, Miss Piggy is going to take advantage of the spotlight or Gonzo is going to want to do something weird. All these characters are super insecure. Uh, so it, in a way that drives us the, the gags and the stories as well as is, is, is character based stuff. In addition to this behind the scenes um, look at the show within the show. And it has a sort of meta humor, which I, you know, which was not new, but definitely I don't think audiences were kind of used to that at that time. Yeah, no, I and that's one thing I, I did not know before I started watching these is that like the show that they're putting on generally kind of sucks and Kermit is very aware of that but that's one of the big jokes but yeah no it has that you know that very sort of um old school tv variety show plus a little bit of like 60s flower child energy plus that self-aware almost like gen x sort of distance from it like you know they're aware that the show that they're putting on is not great but like you know the creators know that that's the joke but kermit is just constantly racked by anxiety about all of that um yeah so i mean again there there are all these elements that i know on paper for me really work maybe not so much the the old-fashioned tv variety show like i i've never really been able to look at those and kind of appreciate them. They are so of their time that I just like, you know, I, we, we did, um, we did our Christmas episode. We did a variety show for the the Christmas episode. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I know jokes had been like around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is this so corny? <laughs> um, but anyway, um, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I guess so. We're, we're doing all this big stuff. But, you know, I think I think the biggest thing is that Jim Henson is such a singularly creative force. And, and, you know, not that it's strictly him. I know, you know, besides Frank Oz, there are a number of other big Muppet personalities whose names elude me. But um, it felt important to get, to have given this another serious effort. So. And, and so prior to this, you had seen the Star Wars episode, correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause, um, the only time I remember the Muppet show being on was for a year or so, it was lumped in to the Nick Jr. block on Nickelodeon. And I was old enough that I, I once like my cartoons ended and Nick Jr. started, that was like, I can like walk away from TV for a few hours. But they happen to be one of the episodes that they aired was the the Mark Hamill one. So I saw that when I was a kid, and it's really I think the only one I had seen start to finish. And the only thing I remembered uh, was him yelling like for Alderan as he's kind of like running around backstage with his blaster, <laughs> yeah, um, and the gargling Gershwin, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't. I was I didn't know who Gershwin was, and I. I think over the years, like it transmutated into gargling balsa wood. Like that's how I remember the joke being. And uh-huh. then when I saw this, I was like, yeah, of course not even a Muppet could 
could gargle small bits of splintery wood that be uncomfortable. Now, I know you you enjoy the Muppet Family Christmas, and that's something that is uh, an annual viewing for, for you and Sandra. There feels like there's a lot of overlap between the two. And I think when we had mentioned the Muppet Show before, there was a part of you that almost sense like, oh, I don't trust my reaction to the Muppet Family Christmas. Um, so I kind of want to, I kind of want to pull at that a bit. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, re- I, I don't, I think, I think that's one of those things, one of those artifacts that I cannot separate from my nostalgia. Cause it was something my family watched every year and a lot of the jokes and maybe it's the, well, here's the thing. There's one episode of this, of this show, <laughs> There's one episode of the Muppet show that I watched that I, I think was probably my favorite of the bunch. And I think it's because it focused on like a single sustained premise. Okay. So for me, like the the sort of anarchy of springing, you know, a surprise Christmas visit on your mother and bringing all your friends while your mother had other plans and like just the, the sort of chaos and the, the, the heightening of like, oh, more people are showing up. We're going to have to like, you know, Gonzo and Animal are going to have to put coat hangers in their shirts and just sleep in the closet. Fozzie finding thinking he's like found a new talent in a snowman. Yeah, I think I think that is so such a specific thing that it works differently. I mean, the show is very much a sketch show and yeah. Sketch shows in general are very hit or miss. Yeah. And there's definitely but, like know, there's definitely stuff in here that doesn't work. You know, there's gags that don't work yeah. and there's skits that don't work and uh I think cumulatively the show works as a whole and I think it's so inviting in a lot of ways. It's, you know, just like the best sketch shows, you can kind of overlook any kind of missteps or, or bad notes. I think the Muppet Family Christmas is another thing that has sort of, that should have primed me for really enjoying, or one of those things that should have primed me for being a lifelong Muppets fan. But, I you know, I'd never, I never had any desire to rent the movies when I was a kid. I mean, they were out there. Treasure Island and Christmas Carol came out when I was a kid. I know I saw both. I don't remember Treasure Island, and I remember not really liking Christmas Carol. So, I mean, the show may not have been available, but there were at one point two video stores in my hometown. I could have gotten The Great Muppet Caper or Muppets Take Manhattan. I just, I I didn't have, whatever I had seen, I did not feel like I needed to go any further. And like, like, not even that it's not for me, I just didn't think about it. A lot of those things you mentioned, I saw in the theater or, you know, if it was a TV show, I, I would watch it from the beginning. But I do, watching this now, like, I have so much affection for it. And I thought a lot of it still works really, really well. And I, I guess that could be nostalgia in some ways. Uh, I just think that there's so much specificity to how they tell their stories that it's a very unique experience and i think that's why it has staying power for me obviously like it's had a lot of difficulty trying to maintain itself in in you know 2000s onward Uh, and like you had mentioned earlier they've tried a bunch of different shows they did one that was like uh kind of like a send-up of the office which didn't work at all um, and they have a new show that's on Disney Plus. And I watched the first episode and it was fine. It seemed like maybe in a step in the right direction, but there's always something that's off. I think part of the problem is like you can't separate those voices from the puppets. 
And now that Henson has passed and Frank Oz has kind of moved on from the characters, a lot of the characters, they, they don't sound like they should sound. And yeah. so that could be why, like, I don't want to say it needs to stop, but I mean, maybe it does. Cause like, I don't, if Star Wars stopped, I would be fine, <laughs> you know? Uh, but obviously that's never going to happen. They're going to keep milking that as, as well, but they're never going to be what, the Muppet show was or, or the great Muppet caper or, or the Muppet movie is to me or even Muppet Christmas Carol, which I told you is something that I, I love quite a bit. I, I did enjoy for the most part. I, I really did like the episodes that I watched for this, but I, I do think my, my opinion is sort of best condensed into uh, like so many things we can point to um, a Simpsons joke <laughs> where uh, they're watching TV and Bart and Lisa are on the floor, and uh, uh, the Muppets Go Medieval come on, and they both groan, and Lisa goes, Dad, what's a Muppet? And Homer goes, well, it's not quite a mop, and it's not quite a puppet, <laughs> but man, <laughs> to answer your question, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, Homer. <laughs> well, let's get into the show. Uh, it aired from 1976 to 1981. Obviously, I didn't watch it when it initially aired. Uh, it must have been all on reruns. I don't really remember what channel it aired on when I was young, uh, but I definitely watched it. And even watching these episodes now that we selected for the purpose of this episode, uh, a lot of the bits and, and the gags kind of they felt familiar, you know, like they yeah, came back sure. to me. Um, I do think before we sh jump into the show that maybe we should um, sort of address the non-controversy surrounding its release to Disney+. Plus. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, when the show premiered, um, Disney decided to put a disclaimer up in front of not every episode, but uh, quite a few of them. Uh, I have the disclaimer. It says... This program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. Disney is committed to creating stories with inspirational and aspirational themes that reflect the rich diversity of the human experience around the globe. Blah, 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 Disney. Okay, you're not that good at that, Disney. Anyway, so a bunch of... Uh, conservative commentators kind of as par for the course lost their minds over this saying that the Muppets were going to be canceled. And again, it's another instance of this non-controversy. Uh, the myth of cancel culture. Yes, exactly. Uh, I, you know, I think it's ex only exacerbated by the fact that this, ha like this happened at the same time, roughly that, you know, those who control the, the publishing rights of Dr. Seuss's catalog are like, we're going to not publish these eight low-selling Dr. Seuss books anymore because of, of of racially insensitive depictions. And yes, I mean, for it was, it was weeks of, of you know, uh, Chirons and images of the Muppets and uh, Dr. Seuss book titles on Fox News. I just, you know, uh, what it boils down to is that these are um, scared people who don't want to be bothered with having conversations with their children. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, it's um, you know, for for a a a, par a political party that's so like, 
you know, about uh, choice and self-responsibility and all this shit. It's like, okay, great. This streaming platform is giving you the, the tools to be like, oh, okay, there might be a Muppet with a Native American headdress on uh, and, you know, kids now are being taught that like, oh, you shouldn't appropriate other cultures and maybe I'll have to talk to my kid about it. I'd rather complain about that on Twitter and throw money at Matt Gates's legal defense fund or something. <laughs> um, it's just all so fucking stupid. It really and is. And I just don't understand. It's, it's, it's such a non-issue. It's so dumb. And like, oh no, we're like, and it's not going to, it's, how can something be canceled if it's still there? Yeah, I don't understand it. And especially because the show is so good natured. A lot of the things that that disclaimer address are really just these kind of, they're broad it's, cultural it's, it's cultural ignorance. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with addressing these things, especially in this moment where we see a rise in violence against the Asian community. There's nothing wrong with talking to your kids about maybe this is insensitive because we didn't completely understand this and it otherizes these people. I thought it was important to address right up top that I think the disclaimer is absolutely fine and again was a non-controversy. It's only going to bother adults who already have their heels dug in. I'm I know I glazed over every time I put in a, a cassette tape and it was just like the FBI warning that you had to sit through or fast forward through. Yeah. And I guess they're hung up because you can't fast forward through the 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's just frustrating because, you know, this is explicitly an example of not removing a piece of text or film or music. Uh, and again, presenting you with like, oh, just strap in. Because like I've got, I got friends who have kids who are like four or five and they're like, oh, we were so excited. We put Peter Pan on and then holy shit we forgot about the whole you know the whole song uh with the with the Indian characters and they were horrified and then they had a conversation with their kid about it it was good yeah <laughs> <laughs> you 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 did good parenting that night and that's really all it comes down to right no one's saying these things have to go away it's about placing them in the context from when they were released and having that conversation i feel like if if we stop talking about them, then there's going to be no change whatsoever. It's just going to be, right. we're going to continue to perpetuate these these stereotypes and, and, and affects offensive depictions of other cultures. I'll tell you what I found more offensive is the skip intro button for the theme song to the show. Why would anyone, why would anyone want to skip the theme song to The Muppet Show, Tony? I mean, don't ask me. I mean, I, I only stick around because I know that something different happens to Gonzo each time. <laughs> It does, but and I didn't press skip. Oh, I didn't right. press skip because I knew that you would you would you would risk getting COVID to come over here and get close enough to 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 beat the shit out of me. <laughs> You're not a violent person, but I think that would have pushed Wait, you. You were thinking about it too. You're like, I'm gonna skip. I'm gonna skip the intro, weren't yeah. you? You were thinking about it. It, yeah, uh, that would have been like what pushed you into like the taken slash death wish phase of your your life. Like that's that when Matt Ferreira heard that his podcasting co-host skipped the Muppet, skipped intro, the Muppet intro, he snapped. It's just it's just so much. There's so much joy there with the arches and the Muppets coming in from stage right and left, and they're joining each other. And then it pans out, and you see all the Muppets. 
Ah, oh, I mm-hmm. love it so much. No, it's delightful. No. Instead of looking for lists of the best episodes of The Muppet Show, what we did instead was I, I had you kind of go through and pick out things, pick out episodes where, that featured guests that you were interested in. You picked out Steve Martin, Peter Sellers, Gilda Radner, uh, Debbie Harry, and then I threw in Gene Kelly because I wanted to I wanted to do the Gene Kelly episode. Yeah. Uh, we also mentioned the Star Wars episode, so we threw that in. Mm-hmm. Am I missing something? Well, I did. I, I went off book for two. I also, you had suggested Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. And I, knowing how much you love um, Judy Garland, I watched the Liza Minnelli episode. Yeah, which I, uh, I, I didn't get to in time for this. So, uh, okay. Which I've seen uh, it. It's just well, been a I long also, time. I also did not, I did not get to Debbie Harry either. Okay, that's quite all right. That one's not so great. But I think what I was looking for, what I was, I was looking for like names that I, I knew would be easy entries for me, but also I wanted to get, to get that sort of cross section of like old and new Hollywood, because this was also like the late seventies was sort of that, that Venn diagram of, you know, when those old variety shows were coming to an end and then the ascension of like. Uh, you know, punk and new wave and SNL. So um, that's what's interesting because even with these few episodes that we selected, you have things like, like you said, you we have Gene Kelly, who is, you know, from the golden age of Hollywood in big musicals. But also, um, even though you didn't watch it, the Debbie Harry episode specifically talks about punk rock uh, and how she's a punker. And there is um, Kermit's nephew, Robin, uh, he's part of the Frog Scout troop. So they're like, you know, Boy Scouts, except for they're frogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to become punk rockers. Um, and it was really interesting to me, this episode, primarily because I remember in the 90s when, you know, bands like Green Day became really popular. There's this whole discussion surrounding it about punk is selling out and you could get stuff in the mall, blah, blah, blah. You're buying your your manic panic hair dye and your studded belts in the mall. And, you know, this isn't what punk was back in its heyday, but this is punk back in its heyday. And it's on one of the most popular family entertainments of of its time. Uh, So I thought that was really fascinating. Uh, She does a bunch of performances. Um, She's Debbie Harry herself. Her performance is okay, But so the first episode, if we go chronologically, uh, was the Steve Martin episode, and that was from season two, uh, and that came out in 1977. And before we started recording, you had mentioned maybe that this is the one you were hoping for the most, uh, but for some reason you didn't connect with, with this one. So, so let's talk about that. What you know? Why were you so excited for this one? Are you a big Steve Martin fan, and why didn't it work for you? Yeah, no, I really like Steve Martin. Um, I love the Jerk. I love those stand-up albums that he did around this time. He, you know, he's another sort of you know, not unlike the Muppets, he's always sort of been a a, a prominent cultural figure, and uh, I was just you know exposed to more of his work as a kid, and I've always enjoyed it. And you know, more recently was when I went back and listened to those stand-up records, um, and the whole idea of him, you know, Steve Martin, the character on stage, is so fun because it's just he's you know such a like schlocky big ego, but also super weird. So. I, I kind of figured that he was a, a given that he would really like for like make sense that he was on the Muppet show. Like uh, he, he's sort of on that wavelength already. 
It's very silly and also has this, you know, at the time, like his persona was this big premise. And for whatever reason, I just, I kind of, you know, I thought it was fine. Yeah. I just, um, yeah, you know, I think it, it felt like the, you know, not that he was ever edgy, but you could tell that it was sort of like the, the, the edges were sanded down a bit. You had said that this was a, you know, a, you had mentioned in the context of Debbie Harry that this was a popular family show. Was this a family show? Would, was this on, like, was yeah, this it was like prime aimed time. towards all ages? Was this sort yeah. of well, aimed so, more towards an older audience? So Henson incorporated the Muppets into Sesame Street, and that was hugely successful. But he wanted to do something that was for the whole family, and that's kind of what the Muppet show was. Um, and that's another thing that I really love about the show. I think there's so much so much modern entertainment for families and children gets that label, especially something like Pixar, where you hear like, oh, this is for the adult. The kids can love this and the adults can like this too. And I find, especially with Pixar recently, even when I like the movies, that they're not really for kids anymore. Uh, I, especially their last one sold, felt like a lot of that would be over the majority of kids' heads. And that there's an element of self-awareness to what they're doing that kind of disconnects it from this conversation of being for the whole family. Um, I say that as someone that enjoys all the Pixar movies, but that is something that kind of frustrates me. And I think The Muppet Show is a perfect example of something that's for everybody because it doesn't talk down to children. And the humor is, is weird and while not adult, it's certainly not... It's not playing, it's not playing dumb. Uh, there's a, there is a different kind of self-awareness, not one that's trying mm-hmm. to be clever or cool. I think just one that's kind of self-aware about entertainment in general. Um, and so I, I, I feel that's really lacking in a lot of modern uh, family entertainment. Yeah, sure. I think and, you know, the flip side is like the, the DreamWorks approach, like when the Shrek movies were big, where it's superficially you know, a kid's movie and bright colors and songs and funny characters. And then like just the shoehorn pop culture or unnecessary innuendo, that kind of thing. I was just curious. Cause again, I don't know. I had no context yeah. for like what the circumstances of the show aired. So. It was huge uh, because a lot of Henson was really big into getting his stuff kind of around the world. You know, famously Fraggle Rock was invented. So each country could, take it and kind of dub over the fraggles and then have their own i can't remember the name of the humans the human's name in, oh doc yeah they'd have their own doc in each country around the world because he wanted this to be a show for everybody um so the muppet show was like one of the first shows to kind of air in like a hundred countries so it was very very successful uh i think it got i think its first season or so wasn't as popular in the states uh but it, it drastically um grew in viewership as it as it progressed the first season i believe all of the guests were sort of connected to the show somehow either they were friends with the performers or they were connected through jim henson's um manager uh, maybe similar managers and then as the show picked up in popularity guests wanted to be on the show so that's like your steve martin yeah and And then because the the guests were becoming, um, you know, they're, they're getting bigger guests, they're getting bigger viewers. The reason they had guests in general is because they felt it was a way to connect to an audience. That was the audience surrogate because, you know, the Muppets on their own can be 
kind of strange. So every Muppet, Muppet property has at least one human as sort of like the audience surrogate. Uh, I know like when John Cleese, his episode, he kind of co-wrote that. So I do think that the the guests would kind of come on and kind of not steer the ship, but at least almost like Saturday Night Live, be like, yeah, I, I want to do this or want to do this. I think another thing that would happen was is they'd say, which Muppet would you like to work with? And everyone would always say, oh, Piggy or Kermit. But they'd always kind of say like, well, try and pick someone else because they wanted to just have diversity. Well, I mean, like with the Steve Martin one, that's a great example because it's, um, oh, what is the excuse for why the show gets canceled? Oh, no, they're doing auditions. They're doing auditions. And there's not supposed to be a show that night. And then he, but he does his bit where he is, he has banjo playing. Yeah. And- there's that great gag at the beginning where Kermit comes out and goes, I have an announcement. And Statler and Waldorf go, maybe tonight's show has been canceled. And Kermit goes, tonight's show has been canceled. <laughs> um, I, I thought this was a perfect way into the show because Steve Martin, the stand-up, is a character. That's not Steve Martin. Um, he's talked about this. Have you read his book? Was it Born yeah, Standing Up? Uh, yeah, I listened to the audio yeah. book. It's Me too. Great. It's fantastic. He he kind of talks about, you know, his connection to it was also through vaudeville and, and that putting on a show kind of thing and, and, and kind of deconstructing what a stand-up was. Like his act is a really sticky and old-fashioned in a lot of ways, but kind of calling attention to that. And I thought that the Muppet show with Steve Martin allowed him to be himself while also not taking any kind of attention away from the Muppets. And I think that's what the show does well too, is like oftentimes the guests can be the guests and the Muppets can still be the Muppets. And I just thought like his whole his whole kind of like spiel about like where he got his balloons from where was really, really funny and how like, Oh yeah. The yeah. Balloon farm and they're all idiots. And he, you know, waits for them to lose their attention. And he steals the balloons. And then he does like a couple of gags with the balloons. They felt like that there was actually part of his routine and like, didn't feel like he changed any of that whatsoever. Uh, plus you had the great, um, the four fazoobs, which are these aliens that are kind of instruments and they're all kind of singing. Um, I, I can't remember the name of the... Uh, oh, yeah. They're from the planet Coosbane. <laughs> they sing a song. Oh, and then Gonzo comes out and he dances with cheese, which I love. Um, I, I love it any time the show brings out a weird puppet that we'd never really get to see. And just like a, seeing like this this puppet cheese kind of like levitating and bouncing around. I that, I just get a kick out of a lot of that stuff. I think it's really funny. Yeah, I think I think there was some of that where I was struggling to sort of like like what's the joke here or <laughs> like it's a cute puppet but like where's the charm in it? I don't, I think the puppet was the charm and I think just Gonzo is the like I like I said I, I think Gonzo's a a fun character and it's the weirdness of the whole thing. I, I think well, I, yeah, I mean I I didn't mean Gonzo specifically but I do think that this predates a lot of kind of Simpsons humor too, where they just kind of take things, these life field kind of turns, random kind of humor that they just kind of throw in there. You know, Steve Martin does his rambling guy thing where he plays the the banjo and uh, Marvin Suggs comes out with his, you know, the food and sings. Marvin Suggs is a reoccurring character and typically comes out with like this in this episode, it's food. In another episode, they're little fur balls. Plus there's the, the bit with Carrie Louise she keeps singing out uh, old old man ribbit in the frog says the punchline oh, yep. to it. Yep, with the uh Yep, the they, hook. they keep pulling the uh the the hook to pull her off stage. 
Yeah, like you said, they're auditioning new acts to be part of it. Each episode kind of culminates in the guests performing with all of the Muppets. And this one has Steve Martin doing the dueling banjos with the jug band, which are, they're also recurring characters. And I think that's the other thing, too, is like a lot of these musical numbers, like some of them are gags. Some of them are meant to be ridiculous and funny, but sometimes they're just utterly sincere. Like we're just playing the song. And I love that mix of this, the, the weird sarcastic humor, but also the utter sincerity with like, we're just going to put on a show. And I love that vibe. And, and I've come to love that even more as I've gotten older and I've watched a lot of older musicals. And um, so this connects a lot of those pieces for me. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to belabor the point because I feel like I'm, I've been enough of a downer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, no. I swear that like I'm going to get enthusiastic about some other ones. Let's just talk about the the Mark Hamill one briefly just to get it out of the way. Sure. Because, yeah, I, was, I, I really did not enjoy that episode. You did not at all? Not really. I mean, there were parts of it, but like I think on the whole, it felt like I just, I don't know. And that's from season four, and that's episode 17, and that came out in 1980. So that's right when um, Empire Strikes Back came out. I can understand why that one wouldn't work because Hamill is so over the top and hammy. But I think there's what I enjoy about it is like it really has no problem making fun of Star Wars. Uh, And I really love that aspect of especially when the Muppets are doing their thing. Like there's a moment in the back half where the Muppets start kind of singing and then all the Star Wars characters, because C-3PO is there and R2 is there and Chewbacca is there. They kind of look at the Muppets like, what is going on? And I, I love that mm-hmm. anytime that happens where the Muppets break out into this joyous song and dance and, and the humans are reacting to it like, what the fuck? And I, I, that works for me in this episode. And the Pigs in Space stuff is pretty pretty charming to me um, with the mm-hmm. great, with the Darth, uh, what does he call him? Yeah, so Gonzo shows up and he's Darth Nader. Mm-hmm. Um. They also revisit the planet Coosbane, which I had mentioned was, um, they referenced Coosbane in the Steve Martin episode. But, uh, and, 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 I, and I think uh, Mark Hamill kind of doing like these show tune numbers where he's like throwing his voice or, or making his voice sound like these old kind of Broadway singers, I thought was really funny. Especially because yeah. if in the context of Star Wars coming out and it and being taken super seriously to just be really ridiculous, um, I I th- I find kind of charming. I mean, Hamill is really over the top, like really over yeah, the top. Yeah, and like you know, and being a lifelong Star Wars fan, you get to know that that he can be he can be a bit much sometimes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, when he's you know when it when it clicks for him, he's he's really great. Um, which you know, which is why he found such a wonderful second career in voice acting. But yeah, I have to imagine like seeing him be that silly so close to, I mean, especially the Empire Strikes Back coming out must have been a treat. I think when I was a kid, it was exciting because it was more Star Wars, these characters I love Mm -hmm. and mixed up with these other characters I love. And Miss Piggy dresses up as Princess Leia in order to... um, woo Mark Hamill or or Luke Skywalker because you know the char- the characters from Star Wars show up to the set of the Muppet show and Mark Hamill also shows up so they kind of treat them as if two distinct characters um, on the show and that was a bit that I really liked that they because Chewbacca was missing so like every time Luke came into a scene he was like kicking a door down or blowing up a wall and like was very intense um 
that was and really good. R two and three PO were just kind of like, eh. yeah. You, you didn't like <laughs> uh, after him. You didn't like three PO tap dancing or Chewbacca's that, dance. No, that was delightful. Yeah, that was delightful. Yeah, I mean, again, like as in, I wouldn't put this as one of my favorite episodes, but I think those pieces are charming enough to make it work. Let's get to something where I did really like. I th- I think I don't know if this is in the order you had intended. So I'm yeah, apologizing. Yeah, fine. No, I'm let's, let's skip around. Let's skip here. around. Um. The Gilda Radner episode is the one where I feel like I started to click and like get it, which is an, which is funny because I think, you know, Gilda herself is such a mythic personality and icon. I also have sort of had a hard time like getting on that wavelength just, but not, I mean, unfortunately, you know, she didn't have the, the long career that a lot of those initial SNL cast members had. So like, she was always, again, she was always this 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 thing that had happened and I missed it. And I probably feel that same way about like Gilda and Belushi. Like it's hard to connect to them because there's not much of it and they were gone too soon. So um, mm-hmm. I don't know too, too much about those things. But she is really charming in this and especially because like she just feels like on the same wavelength as, as the Muppets. Well, I mean, she's a human, she's practically a human Muppet. She, you know, when, 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 this is so dumb. Is it Scooter or Skeeter? Scooter. Okay, because Skeeter was the sister that they made yeah. for the Muppet, the she's Muppet Babies. Muppet Babies. Scooter. Yeah. Scooter. So, like, yeah, when Scooter goes to get her, like, she's doing this old lady character who thinks she's been duped into doing the Muffin Show, yeah. and like, <laughs> what's next? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, No, no, it's the Muppets. And then she's like, Never mind. And like, <laughs> it's such like, I'm like, Oh, she's a, she's a human puppet. This is going to yeah. be a lot of fun. And then. Um, you know, one of the, one of the first sketches is Kermit introduces this, this, uh, singing group from, from the Arctic who are going to do a traditional folk song. And then it's, uh, you know, like a bunch of people in, in furs and igloos and singing penguins doing like this big Broadway number, which is lullaby <laughs> so of, fucking absurd. They do lullaby yeah. of Broadway, which is from, it was written in 1934. Yeah. It's really funny. And it's like. Yeah, that set like the setup, and then like the payoff is so good, and I was like, okay, I think I think I'm getting it. That 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 episode really was a lot of fun. It was my first time seeing a Muppets lab sketch. Oh, those are fun. Which which are so fun. Yeah. The, so after the lullaby on Broadway, there's the Muppet melodrama, which is also a, a bit that reoccurring bit, uh, and it's Miss Piggy hanging from a cliff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I love any time. So like basically there's like, I can't remember the name of the, the Muppet. He's like one of the villain Muppets. And and he's kind of there and this other Muppet shows up to save Miss Piggy. But then the, the two Muppets, the, the villain and the hero kind of start talking about, you know, performing together and dancing. And then um, they one of like the villain Muppet starts tap dancing. And I love any time it shows a close up of a Muppet's feet and it's dancing because it's just moves so jittery and it's just... It's so funny to me. But Miss Piggy's essentially hanging on to the cliff the whole time and no one rescues her and she's just kind of frustrated and put upon like Miss Piggy always is and mad at everyone else and like, I, I should be doing this. I should be solving this problem. It's really funny. Well, I you know, the, the close-up on the feet is great because, you know, like you were saying earlier, the Muppets don't strive for realism, but there are examples of certain effects like you know famously kermit riding a bike in the movie where like 
you know, you're not used to seeing him head to toe like that and moving in a way that like, how is that happening without a, a person, you know, holding rods and wires. But yeah, that they're so willing to make this stupid joke where it's just like them wiggling feet. Yeah. <laughs> they lean into the fact that they don't dance and it just looks yeah, yeah. so, it looks ridiculous. Uh, but this one, I think you had mentioned earlier that what worked for you is when an episode would maybe have like a through line. And this one introduces the Muppets lab where Gilda is assisting um, Dr. Bunsen Honeydew and Beaker. She shows up and she's she's excited to help Dr. Bunsen Honeydew and Bunsen Honey Bun, Dr. Bunsen Honeydew says, "Oh, you just you, say Bunsen. You're gonna be you're, you're gonna be my um, you're gonna be my guinea pig." And she says, "I don't mind assisting, but I'm not crazy about the idea of guinea pigging." Um, and he, he has this like super glue and and then like starts gluing shit all over the place and everything gets stuck and that kind of carries through to the end of the episode where she does this tap dance number with her hand glued to her head and she's got like this almost like a spring stuck to well, it's one of those like exercise yeah. springs and it's stuck to beaker at the other end who's off stage and she's doing a uh, uh, tap your troubles away and then she gets stuck to the floor um before the tap dancing number it there's a a, a musical number <laughs> with a carrot oh oh my that's amazing Oh my God, the carrot yeah. is incredible. It's this giant carrot Muppet. She wanted to do a pun, parrots of Penzance, but Kermit couldn't read her handwriting, so he got her a giant carrot. And he's like, it's you know this pretentious, douchey yes. you know, mm-hmm. artiste, but he's a seven foot tall carrot in a tuxedo. It's amazing because the eyes are <laughs> tiny and right in the center of the carrot. Yeah, and, really beady. And they, they both come out and it's like these this kind of like dual descending staircases with like, candelabra and lots of columns and singing pirates of penzance you know that i am the very model of a blah 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 but they keep screwing up the words and it's it's incredible that puppet is that carrot puppet is amazing there's also um rolf and zooter play this little jazz number called body and soul and they don't get very far and, and rolf is like my hands are stuck to the the piano uh and uh zoot oh yeah <laughs> Zoot goes, I can't get the saxophone out of my mouth. It's so amazing. It's <laughs> yeah. just stuck there. We can't get the saxophone out of my mouth. I'm, I'm glad you like this one because I really like this one too. Yeah, it was a really, really fun one. And the um, whole episode ends where they're up on stage and ev- everyone's just stuck to each other. You know, I don't know if maybe the, the Steve Martin and the Mark Hamill ones were sort of like a reset in terms of my expectations or anything like that. But um, is that the order you watch them in? So yes. Okay. Uh, Mark Hamill, Steve Martin, then Gilda. From there, I went to the Gene Kelly one. Okay. Gene Kelly one is from is the first episode from season five, um, mm-hmm. and that came out in 1981. Um, and I chose this because, as I've stated on the show, I'm a massive Gene Kelly fan. Uh, Meg and I have watched the majority of his movies, and. When we really fell in love with him, we had revisited this episode, and I feel like it's a very special episode. And, and watching it now, rewatching it again, I just had like a smile on my face the whole time. Um, but so, I, so I'm very curious to, you know, what did you think of the episode? I mean, I thought it was lovely. And I think, you know, like I said, I'm sort of already on the wavelength now because of the Gilda one. There's connective tissue because they kind of do the same joke again. With um, Kermit introduces the endangered animal singers or the endangered species <laughs> yeah, singers, yeah. and and it, it's a bunch of like 
penguins and polar bears singing a song about the bayou and it's it's you know the 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 context and the the lyrics are very you know the 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 contradiction blah blah it's very silly um and then you've got this um this person who whose entire career is defined by this one thing you know for better not like not to say like that's you know he he lives and dies by singing in the rain but like that's that's what he's known for that's like the the like the one if you're gonna say gene kelly that's the first thing that comes to your mind and the fact that he's not even aware that he's there <laughs> as the guest. He thought he's just been invited to watch the show. And he's like, I'm just, no, I'm just going to watch. And he's so polite. But he's like, no, thank you. I don't want to go on stage. And, and Kermit dupes him into it once. And like just the, the casual buildup and then the final release oh, and him doing the one thing. It's incredible. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, so b- before that part, Kermit, convinces him to teach him how to dance yes and that's beautiful because again there's nothing better than watching muppets move their feet uh and they put kermit up on top of this piano uh and and gene kelly teaches him a few um tap dance numbers and it's a little better than the wiggling we just talked about oh yeah yeah yeah. the piano is strategically placed Mm -hmm. with a black background so that the the puppeteers can be there and, and you know, try to put as much actual mm-hmm. choreography to the puppet as the puppet will allow. And it's it's very charming, and they're holding hands at one point when they're doing it. And, yeah. And then uh, um, yeah. Miss Piggy asks him to do a duet, and um, he does You Wonderful You, uh, which is a, a lovely n- little number. Um, and then Miss Piggy gets called to do, um, to go backstage to prep to be in Pigs in Space, uh, mm-hmm. And then so Gonzo comes out <laughs> and finishes with 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 um, Gene Kelly. Uh, what I love about this episode, in a, in addition to everything we've already mentioned, is just the look on his face. Is just he's so happy to be talking to them. You can just see yeah. it, and it's just there's something about it. And he's like almost seventy at this point. I, I don't know. There's something about it that just reminds me of like I don't know, my grandfather and just. I don't know. It's whimsical and charming in in all the best ways. Um, but like you had mentioned, like it's all this build up to doing singing in the rain. But it starts off where they're backstage. Rolf is there, and he's just like, "Well, you know, uh, I'm going to start vamping. What about this vamp?" And he plays the little lead that goes into the little lick that goes into singing in the rain. But because all these songs are in similar keys and whatnot, and in uh, there's a bunch of overlap. They do almost like this medley of some famous Gene Kelly songs. So starts off doing Swonderful from um, An American in Paris. Uh, so, you know, R- Rolf is trying to trick him into doing Sing in the Rain. So he does Swonderful. Yeah. And then he goes, um, You Were Meant for Me, which is from For Me and My Gal. Um, and then at that moment, like, you know, Rolf starts playing the vamp again. And Gene just like, I think I, I know which song you're talking about. And then all the Muppets look at Gene, like there's a wide shot and they're all just looking at him. And it's almost like you read that awe onto the Muppets of this legend of Hollywood. And he starts, um, he starts singing, singing in the rain and then goes out onto the stage. And it's like a replica of the set uh, with the rain. And he's got the umbrella and it's, there's like a, he closes the umbrella and there's like a, looks right into the camera, kind of smiles does a sidestep and then there's a wide shot of him just kind of walking into the distance. 
it, it honestly makes me cry at <laughs> this moment because I feel it's so beautiful and tender and encapsulates everything I love about him and this just him as a performer and and you know he didn't really perform too much after this so this feels almost like a in a way like a swan song for him I remember the first time I saw it Meg and I we were just like it just felt so magical and, and it's something that we both love and, and and connect to and it's almost embarrassing talking about how much this means to me no, I you know? get it and it's also it's also very appropriate it's not like you know, they're like, come on, we know you're 70, but like, just go for it. Like, it was very understated. Yeah, he doesn't overdo it. Yeah, it was really, it was really lovely. And like, to, you know, the point you made earlier about, it was a little distracting how visibly charmed he seemed to be to be there. Because like, Gilda, like I said, it was basically a Muppet. Peter Sellers even makes the joke that there is no me anymore. So like, he was just like there to act. He's a like, little too self-aware, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Gene Kelly was literally just like poorly hiding a smile the whole time. Um, I loved it. Yeah, just really, yeah, it's really, it's really funny. But like, like I had mentioned, I think that's what the show excels at. It allows him to be Gene, Gene Kelly. And even though Peter Sellers is just like, oh, I'm not even me. Like, that's kind of my perception of him. And we get that in 26 minutes. We get Gilda Radner, Radner in 26 minutes. Even Mark Hamill, like, yeah, that was Mark Hamill in those 26 minutes. Yeah. The show allows them to be themselves, which you don't even really see on like talk show, like regular talk shows half the time. There was a pigs in space sketch that we didn't talk about in this episode where they're coming, they're, they've found the edge oh, of the yeah. universe <laughs> and the answer to everything is going to be revealed in one minute. And like, but there's a countdown. The meaning and real purpose time. of life. Yeah. Yeah. And like one by one, they either get distracted by dinner or just bored by waiting um which is like i love that's a great like almost a hitchhiker's guide yeah joke and then it, it cuts to the muppet news flash and um it's the the muppet news anchor is just like oh I, okay we've got the meaning and the purpose of life and he's like where's where's the paper with the meaning and purpose of life and he can't find it and yeah that's a that's a good little bit yeah he's a recurring character i really like and um who who you know, every, all of them are in Muppet Family Christmas, but his gag is uh, announcing that the blizzard's coming, and he's like, "And he, <laughs> it's barometers are falling sharply," and then a, like a bunch of giant barometers <laughs> just fall on his head. Um, yeah, Gene Kelly, lovely. It was a great, great episode. Have you seen Singing in the Rain? Yes, I have. Okay, okay. I was gonna say we. The, we the, I was gonna the say the fear we in your voice was. Well, I was gonna say we should do an episode if you haven't because it, it's it's amazing. It's it lives up to its reputation. It, it's crazy. Uh, and then so the last one you had mentioned was Peter Sellers, which I was sort of on. The, I was on the fence on on this one, although I did have the um, cigarettes and whiskey and wild wild women. They'll drive you crazy. They'll drive you insane. Cigarettes yes. and whiskey. It's a song written from 1947, performed by this group called the Sons of Pioneers. So I guess it's like this old folk standard that a number of artists had performed. But they sing it with utter sincerity at the end of this episode. Yeah, that number's great. Um, you know, I mean, it, this kind of plays like the greatest hits. He does, um, you know, his his German sex weirdo character from Strange Love comes out. Yeah, he does that at complete the with the. Um, the paintbrush mustache. Um, although th that is a really funny sketch because he's like a, a masseuse and it's the um, 
I don't know the character's name, but he plays the captain oh, in the yeah, yeah. space sketches. Mm-hmm. He keeps and he's, folding you know, him there up. to get a, get a massage. Yeah, and he, he rolls up his limbs with the the um the weight. Um, we mentioned that he. Uh, I, what's the context for him saying there is no me anymore? Isn't it like Kermit maybe confronts him? Is like, oh, you can just oh, because he's doing a bit. Yeah, and he's and just he's like, like, and he's like, oh, oh we're can, backstage. You can just like, you can just be yourself. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, there is. He no says, me I can never be myself. I do not exist. There used to be a me, but I had it surgically removed. But then yeah. he's just like, what I really, really want to do is recite Shakespeare while playing tune chickens. So he he starts reciting Shakespeare. And he has two chickens under his arms, and just like they're just like, bah, bah, bah. And it's yeah. and then ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And then Gonzo comes out and he's like, you're crazy to do that bit. I did it last week yeah. and I died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So maybe I like this one more than I thought I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's not easy being green. Yeah. That's beautiful. Wasn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. Because like the Kermit needs like, they're like, oh, the next number is not there. And Kermit is stressed and he's like, oh, well, I'll, got to, I'll go out there and I'll tell everyone he goes out there. He's like, yeah, man, like it's really tough sometimes. And, and like, it's, there's no jokes. He's just kind of like being sincere about how difficult life can be and how difficult it is to juggle all juggle all the everything plates in the, and fend for himself. And then he just starts singing it ain't it ain't easy being green. And it's so sincere and like the stage basically morphs into like a forest. Uh and he's like sitting on a tree and it's really beautiful and, and lovely. It's a great performance. Yeah, it is really it is really charming. So the other two that I watched are Vincent Price and Liza Minnelli. We can talk about Vincent Price because you, the Liza one you didn't watch. And I don't want to ruin too much because I, I just want you to go watch it. Okay. Did you like it? I th- this is one of my f- favorites that I watched. Okay, okay. And this is the one where it's a sustained premise. The whole, oh, great. The whole show is them. Uh, Kermit is like a private eye. And it's all, it's all film noir and Liza comes to him. She's oh, an actress. Great. And there's a... Uh, there's a mystery in the show she's she's working on. Oh, that's so. It, I mean, it does all the same Muppet stuff, you know, the, all the, but it all works it into one like single storyline. Scooter also has a standout moment here because typically he's like the stagehand and he's just kind of getting people ready. But he has a he has a scene in the show that Liza is starring in in the context of the film noir. You know, Scooter's not a performer, so like they're doing Scooter doing bad acting, but like really subtle about it, where he's just kind of like looking straight out, and his dialogue is really kind of stilted, but it's very charming. And it, you know, at the beginning of the episode where he normally like tells the guest they're ready, he he's like he's doing his bit with Liza. She's like, "You don't have to rehearse right now. It's fine. We got other things." <laughs> it's very cute. That's what's interesting now, being an adult and and being a fan of old Hollywood and when I was a kid I didn't know I don't know 90% of the people that were guests and now there's so many of these actors and actresses and performers that I'm like oh I know who this is now uh and so I'm kind of excited to go back and 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 watch a bunch of them I hear, I hear the uh, Rita Marino episode is great and so like uh, there's a bunch of we, we talked about Twiggy on on our Christmas episode and she did an episode yep. and uh, and uh, Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn, I'm excited for. I hear that one's great because I think Gonzo has a crush on her. Uh, which is, is who wouldn't? This is true. This is very true. Um, so did you watch the Vincent Price one, or did you just? I've call seen it that one. Be- there. I've, I mean, I've seen them all before, but I had watched that one uh, 
you know, within the past few years. And I know the famous sketch where like he's talking to Kermit. Um, I sent you a gif of it where Kermit has like the uh, the fake teeth and he kind of sinks into uh, Vincent Price's neck. They um, He does a really like spooky version of uh, You've Got a Friend, the James Taylor song, which is really like, you know, it's he's playing like an organ, monsters and ghouls and stuff come out. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, music rights kind of tied the home video releases of the show up for a while. This episode has what are called uh, UK spots, which because commercial breaks were in the States were longer, so they would they filmed extra stuff to fill that time uh, in the UK. But like one of them is is three ghosts just backstage singing a Beatles song, which is they're like, oh, we need to kill two minutes by doing the most expensive thing we can possibly <laughs> think of. That's awesome. That's so great. But I mean, I, I you know, uh, I don't know how all that music rights stuff works in the UK. So maybe it wasn't as big of a hit as it, it would have been over here. I, this may have been the time to, because that was 1977. So I know the rights for their Beatles catalog went on sale and maybe a few years after this, because there was that whole kerfuffle with Michael Jackson kind of buying the rights out from Paul McCartney and all that stuff and uh, the publishing rights or something like that. So it may have been cheaper at one point. Obviously, it's very expensive now. Yeah, that uh, has another great Muppet news flash with the furniture comes alive and starts kind of eating them. Oh, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Are, are, are you, are you going to watch any more? Yeah, I'm I'm not, um, y- you know, uh, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm... Uh, I'm rushing to do it, but like I know it's there, and you know when we've got some some quiet time, yeah, I you know I, I'm I'm happy knowing that I have it all at my fingertips. Cool, and to to sort of like go through and I don't I don't foresee myself starting at the beginning. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would. Is there any reward to doing that? No. Like, is there any like character arcs or no, anything no. that? Uh, no. I, in fact, the first season I don't think is as good. As the show progresses, there's more of like like that thing you were talking about with the uh, Liza Minnelli and uh, and with Gilda with the super glue stuff. That more of that type of loose narrative that really doesn't happen till like the as the show progresses. So like the yeah. for that first season is really just skits, you know, and and there's really not much backstage stuff. Like the guests were always on stage. So the backstage stuff is really the best stuff to me. I mean, I certainly think I'll, I'll go seek the movies out. I have seen, I saw the Muppet movie, you know, for the first time, maybe like 10, 15 years ago. I remember enjoying it, but I don't remember much. I, I, I do remember Steve Martin being a very put upon waiter. Uh, and then... There's so many guest stars, it's crazy. I did try to watch the great Muppet caper not too long ago. And I was like really, really into it for like the first 30 minutes or so. And then I kind of checked out and fell asleep. <laughs> that one's that one might be the best. That one might be my favorite just because it's got like okay. a great high story and like these great gags with like them wanting to be like reporters and they're very bad at yep. it. <laughs> like usual. Yeah. They're bad at a lot of things, but that's kind of the charm yeah. of it. And, uh, and it's got a great uh, Charles Grodin performance. He's, he's so good in it. it he's like. Uh, manipulates Miss Piggy, and it's really funny. Uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely, you know, like I said, I certainly like jumping around and picking out yeah. guest stars. I, I know I'm gonna. I think that's what I'm gonna do know, too. Think I would like. It's. I'm excited that it's all up there, and 
just because I it, like again, it's like one of those things that you can revisit and it's comforting and um, and has so much charm and 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 so much I have so much affection for it. Um, so uh, I'm really glad it's there now, especially because it looks looks better than uh, the DVDs did. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to have through this exercise sort of gotten my anxiety and apprehension out of the way. And I think I know, I, d- I really didn't know what to expect based on the fragments of Muppet and Henson stuff I had taken in before. So now that I know kind of what wavelength to tune my, my head to, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun. What would you recommend from here? What I think that you would really dig is some of, um, Jim Henson's early experimental films, um, which you can find on YouTube, I believe. They're really fun. He's kind of playing around. There's no puppets. There's one called Time Piece, which he, it's really all about kind of cutting to time and rhythm. And it's really, really cool. He's in Time Piece, but there's this other one called The Cube, which is about this guy that wakes up in this room and there's no doors, there's no windows. And he doesn't know how he got in there. And he's trying to find his way out. And these people just start appearing in the room. Uh, it's a lot like The Prisoner. Uh, it's really cool if you could find a, find the cube. I That one, I don't... Maybe it's on YouTube. I know it's popped up. up and It's come and gone. It's really neat, though. Um, and it it's strange because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the Muppets. It feels like he had, like... He got to a point where he's like, I can do this or I can I could go down this route and make these ex- more experimental stories or, you know, embrace the Muppets kind of stuff. And obviously the Muppets became really popular. And 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 I really do recommend uh, Muppets Most Wanted. I think it kind of is better at nailing that tone of Muppet humor than um, the one with Jason Siegel. And not enough people are, are aware of it. It's, it's really funny. Tina Fey is like uh, this Russian prison ward and uh, Ricky Gervais is the villain uh, and I know we're all sick of Ricky Gervais right now but he's not in it that much <laughs> great yeah that dude sucks <laughs> what happened there huh I don't know man I think talk about lightning in a bottle on your first at bat because like like the stuff he's doing now just seems so smug and condescending and just ugly just his- like he's really like really just an ugly nasty person <laughs> yeah it almost seems like he like he was that character from the office like he doesn't have that self-awareness i don't know right it's frustrating when it's somebody who you know in in certain regard like you know i'm i i also consider myself an atheist but i'm not gonna beat strangers over the head about it that seems awfully dogmatic <laughs> he's very aggressive Seems like he's put off a lot of people, but you know, more power to him. Um, do you have any recommendations? Uh, yeah. Well, um, so this one, I, I, I am, I'm sort of, this is a, a blind recommendation, but, um, there is a Jim Henson biography written by Brian J. Jones, who wrote a great George Lucas biography that I read, um, a couple years ago. So, you know, I do, there is a bit of, the Muppet oeuvre that has that sort of, oh, I think I'm going to like the story of the making of this more than the thing itself. Like 
like I could read about SNL until I die. Yeah, me too. Uh, I don't know. Remember the last time I sat down and watched it was, but I think getting into the heads of those personalities and the process. Um, I mean, Henson is just, you know, that singular creative vision and he's so, was so committed to that thing. And, and yeah, I just, he seems like a fascinating person and I, I would like to know more about him and, and some of the process stuff about the show, dark crystal and other things. Um, and I will also recommend the Steve Martin album, uh, comedy isn't pretty, which is, has one of my favorite stand up bits of all time, which is, uh, an extended, not, I, I don't know if bad review is the right way to phrase it, but this bit about getting a, a stereo and a record player and how crummy it is. And it's always about the next thing, but the next thing's never good enough. And he just goes to really absurd places in it. And, um, I think it's a, it's a great kind of, uh, encapsulation of, of a thing he did for a very brief time. You know, I think, uh, I can understand how as a person, he maybe got tired of, of doing stand up, but as someone who never got to see him perform live, it, I find it very unfortunate, but those albums are there for, for posterity. What are we talking about next time? Uh, we're doing our Oscar episode. So we're going to be talking about um, the Best Picture nominees of 1948. I don't know if we're going to dive into all of them. We're for sure going to talk about The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, mm-hmm. The Red Shoes. Yep. And uh, we may touch on Hamlet. The other two pictures were The Snake Pit and Johnny Belinda, which depending on time and access... We'll see, but people don't really talk about those. Hamlet is talked about, and uh, mm-hmm. and for your information, uh, Hamlet is currently on the Criterion Channel. Wonderful, along with the Red Shoes. Great, and I've already watched Treasure oh, of the great. Sierra Madre, so I'm I'm one third through my homework. Excellent. Yeah, uh, I've I've never seen Hamlet. Uh, Red Shoes is pff, big deal for me. Love that movie, and I really like uh, Treasure of the Sierra Sierra Madre as well. Uh, wait, wait, Red Shoes is really a big deal or are you being sarcastic? No, I fucking love the Red Shoes. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. I thought you hadn't seen it. Oh, no, I love that movie. Yeah. I'm curious to hear like how you feel about it. Um, it is basically um, a ballet, you know, um, but mm-hmm. visually it's it's one of a kind um, by um, Powell and Pressburger. I don't know if you've ever seen any of their movies, but yeah. No. Well, you know, this one's great. It's one of Martin Scorsese's favorite movies. So take that, Marvel. Um, <laughs> so you know it's got to be about gangsters. Of, <laughs> it's fun to make some uh, make fun of something you like just because the people who like it more are obnoxious. Yeah, exactly. That's not really fun. It's just it's it's really yeah because it takes know. it takes the wind out of the sails of enjoying the thing. Like, don't be obnoxious. Just like your fucking thing. That's the most popular thing on the planet. You won, nerds. Yeah. You won <laughs> us. I'm looking forward to talking about those things. Um, if you're unfamiliar, last year we did uh, an Oscar episode in lieu of covering the modern Oscars. We chose a random a number at random. And last year we did 1973, where we talked about mm-hmm. the immigrants, um, new favorite cabaret. Ca- yep, new favorite cabaret, um, deliverance. And what was the last one? Oh, Sounder. Sounder. Which is very cool yep. and more people should be aware about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was also the year of the Godfather, yep, we did. but we didn't we didn't talk about the Godfather. Yeah. Because it sucks. 
No, I'm just kidding. We, we liked it. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Looking forward to it. See you then. Thanks for listening to another episode of What Did We Miss? You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at What Did We Miss? And you can send us an email at whatdidwemisspod at gmail.com. And thanks, as always, to the What Cheer Writers Club in downtown Providence, Rhode Island. You can learn more about them at whatcheerclub.org. And you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at whatcheerclub. Thank you.